Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This episode of The Hash is sponsored by PayPal. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there. Welcome to The Hash here on Coindesk TV and the Coindesk Podcast Network. I'm Zach Seward. We got Jensen Assey and Adam Levine on the show today. It's a Friday. Bitcoin is getting the party started early, hitting the 12-month high for the price of BTC, I guess on strong institutional interest with all these Bitcoin ETF applications being submitted. But hey, who knows? The orange coin does mysterious things. But again, it's up to the highest it's been in a year north of $31,000 as we speak. All right, I'm going to toss it to Jen. You got the first story, not Bitcoin related, unfortunately. But an interesting detail in the FTX Alameda saga. What do you got? Not Bitcoin related, but I am wearing an orange shirt coincidentally for the orange coin as we hit this milestone. So just like a great way to start off the Friday show. Alameda Research, the hedge fund, as we know, the hedge fund arm of FTX is looking for the return of $700 million that Sam Bankman-Fried appears to have paid to super networkers who had access to politicians, billionaires, and reality stars. This is according to FTX's new management and outlined in a court filing yesterday. Adam, I'm going to toss this one off to you. What do you make of this? There's apparently two people here who received in total, $700 million, and FTX's new management wants that money back. I think it's an interesting story. I think, again, when you look at this story, there's a bunch of different facets of it. And one of the things that's been most interesting about FTX, of course, is the allegations of essentially political you know, manipulation and bribery and stuff like that. Some of those charges, especially on the Chinese side, got thrown out for the current trial. But this is a reminder that there was hinky stuff going on there. And when I first saw this story, my reaction was, how many people was this going to, right? Because if you're talking about like, let's say this was $5 million and there was like 40 people, right? $250,000 each, you know, that's something that you could kind of explain and justify, uh, you know, about access. If you've got a ton of money, then maybe that doesn't matter. But when you're talking about $700 million going to just two people in what is effectively a venture fund, but where the notes, as far as we've seen, uh, you know, from what's been released at this point, suggest that there really wasn't much of a plan here. 
You know, I mean, like my first kind of reaction to it was that's nice work if you can get it. Now, I think we've had a kind of denial from uh, from the folks who actually received this funds where they're like, oh, we thought everything was above board. But what was it that was above board? What was the point? I'm super curious and I don't understand that at all. Jen? Yeah, I just want to read the statement that was provided to Coindesk. Um, Elizabeth Ashford, a spokesperson for K5 Global, that's the company founded by these two people we're talking about. They said, K5 was under the impression, like many others, that Sam Bankman fried was completely legitimate and that they were entering into a fair, long-term and mutually beneficial business relationship. Our belief is that the lawsuit is without merit. I think this comes back to, you know, there are all of these people who we would hope would do due diligence to enter into a relationship of this magnitude. And it seems that this is just yet another company that maybe has relied on that like trust that was built by all of the high profile relationships that were surrounding FTX. Zach, what do you think? Well, they also built the trust though. Like that's the whole point, right? They provide access to the celebrities and politicians and others who really put a lot of shine on the FTX brand, right? I think this is not mentioned in the piece, but I would imagine this connection is probably why Bill Clinton and Tony Blair spoke at FTX's conference in the Bahamas in April 2022, right? So we start to see sort of um, how this gets done, how FTX, which started as a pretty small brand, rose to the absolute heights of celebrity with Tom Brady, with Steph Curry, with Giselle, with Bill Clinton, with Tony Blair, the list goes on and on. And I guess these people really were super connected because it worked. But it is funny to see that statement because really what it was all about was getting that sort of celebrity endorsement appeal to establish the trust on the customer side and for subsequent marks, if we want to believe the word here, that they were also duped. So it is funny to kind of get a picture of how that machinery operated because it is curious that FTX was able to get so many people on board so quickly. They were the hottest thing in town. They had their name everywhere. Everyone was vouching for them. And I think it probably came down to the work of these two folks who were being handsomely compensated for that work, at least according to these documents. So yeah, I'll toss it back to you, Adam. I mean, I would just say that like, to the extent that that's true, I think it's an even more damning indictment of how business was done at FTX, which is to say that they didn't have the money to be doing this, right? And it's not, again, like you look at somebody like Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady might've been introduced to them through this, but Tom Brady had a deal all by himself. So the deal did not necessarily come from this $700 million. This $700 million was going to this firm that was then doing these introductions. I'm just saying, like, that's a staggering amount of money. Again, you look at the allegations that are going on right now around the current U.S. president and the corruption allegations there center around about $14 million worth of alleged payments over the course of a number of years. So again, like $700 million is a staggering amount of money for this type of work. And I just I can't get past that number. And I can't understand I mean, maybe they just are still holding on to a lot of it and they didn't spend it all and there is money to be clawed back there. But again, that's just bizarre to me. Jen, any final thoughts? Yeah, you have to wonder how the relationships of these two super connectors have maybe deteriorated over this news, right? We've heard about a few different class action lawsuits that are going after some of the celebrities involved in FTX. And when we talk about celebrities and influencers who start supporting different crypto projects, I think what we've heard through different interviews we've done with celebrities involved in different things and some conversations I heard at Consensus, it's largely through word of mouth, right? You trust a group of people in the industry, people who you've probably worked with before, and those people get involved in a project. And then they tell you like, hey, I'm doing this thing. Come and do this with me. That's that's how the entertainment industry works. And you have to wonder how this deterioration of trust kind of trickled through the industry just from this this one case. Zach? 
I think also just the big, huge price tag. Again, this is the, you know, this is the table stakes, right? This is the ante to paying for the additional things that came down the line. But I kept thinking when I was reading this piece about Brady Dale, former Coindesk reporter now at Axios, who wrote the first book to be published on SBF and his downfall. I know he says in that book that like SBF became very attached to the idea of celebrity and being seen as famous and being seen as hobnobbing with the elite of the elite. And I think this lends a really poignant detail to how much he was willing to pay to cement that image in the public sphere. So the idea that this is, again, the ante for subsequent investments in bolstering those celebrity bona fides is really just, uh, yeah, it's a striking number for sure. You know, before we move on, what's crazy is that this could have worked, right? Like this was working until the sudden actual downfall, again, catalyzed by Coindesk reporting that, again, kind of collapsed the, the scheme as it was. But this could have worked and it was working in lots of ways, which is just wild to think about. Anyways, moving on. Next up, banning crypto may not be the best way of mitigating the associated risks, the International Monetary Fund or IMF said in a new blog post out yesterday. That position is in pretty stark contrast to statements from the supranational organization made just months ago, purportedly because a full ban would also prevent countries gaining what the IMF describes as the associated benefits. Quote, while a few countries have completely banned crypto assets given their risks, this approach may not be effective in the long run, the IMF said. Continuing, the region should instead focus on addressing the drivers of crypto demand, including citizens' unmet digital payment needs, improving transparency by recording crypto asset transactions in national statistics, end quote. Power players like the IMF increasingly can't ignore the interest from nations who do not benefit from the dollar reserve system as it exists today, but can essentially take no position except to assume that it's a technology question. That is, the interest here is in better technology without really changing anything else. When really, if you get down to it, it's typically a question of who has power in the system, which is not these smaller nations that are interested. Zach, what do you think? I mean, I think this is an interesting signal about sort of co-option, right? Like maybe we should try to co-opt this thing rather than outright ban this thing, right? And whatever the read is or ever, however uh, misguided that read may be, according to some folks, that's sort of what I see as the essential message here is, okay, this is a technology that's addressing a potentially unmet need in the world, whether that's more efficient payment rails or the ability to rampantly speculate on various assets. They're saying, okay, maybe we should, you know, instead of being fearful and shutting this thing down, we should figure out how we best co-opt some of these ideas into existing systems that power the traditional financial world. And I think that's a perfectly fine response that the IMF is taking here, right? They're saying, Okay, you know, there's some unsavory aspects of this, but let's assume at least in good faith that there's some parts of this suite of technologies that make sense for people the world over. How do we build that into the existing current financial system? And I think that's why you see that this research is couched in the terms of CBDCs, right? How do we make more efficient digital fiat currencies? So, um, yeah, interesting that sort of the ban approach that, you know, the ban, which is always sort of a squishy ban, we should just mention, the ban approach by China is sort of not aging well. I think it's interesting to, to watch the IMF also voice here. But the idea to me is like, how do we co-opt this technology such that we aren't unseated potentially by this emerging crop of things? But yeah, this is going to be a long one to play out. It's good to see that the IMF is thinking about it at least. Jen, what do you think? Given this report, I would, I would love to hear if the IMF's stance on Bitcoin in El Salvador has changed. But on the CBDC point, I think this report is interesting because they say we shouldn't outright ban crypto. Crypto can solve some of the problems that people have. And then they, they look at countries in a bunch of different jurisdictions, one of those jurisdictions being Latin America. 
And I think that we've seen crypto adoption in Latin America largely because of the central bank failures and failures of the governments of those countries. And I don't think that CBDCs solve that problem. And so I read this report and I feel that there are gaps in the report. You know, if this, if we're saying we shouldn't ban cryptocurrencies because CBDCs solve the problem, well, I think we're kind of missing the point. Adam? Yeah, I'll, I'll go back to a horse analogy here, uh, which is, again, this is the IMF, which currently operates the horse cart, you know, transportation system saying, OK, OK, we acknowledge that motors make sense, that it, it actually is OK if you put an engine on something. But we still require and think that you should just you should make sure not to remove the horse from your system. So you're going to have an engine on the back of your thing that makes it so you don't need a horse. But we still want you to have a horse because our whole business is based around horses and we can't change. So just create this system that actually doesn't make any sense because it's better for us, right? Like it's not a strong argument. None of these arguments are strong. And Zach, to your earlier point, the IMF has been saying versions of this for coming up on three years now. The World Bank gets involved too, the Bank for International Settlements, all of these companies, right? These big supranational organizations that kind of just sit on top of the global dollar system like they don't want anything to change, but they also can't say that. They can't be like, hey, we're concerned this competes with us, right? Instead, they have to figure out a way to be like, it's kind of almost like concern trolling, right? They're like, well, I really don't want you to do this thing, but I know if I tell you not to do this thing, you're not going to listen to me. So instead, let me just pretend like I really care about you and I'm concerned you're making a bad choice, right? In reality, the concern is truly at the level of the IMF, not at the level of these nations who are presented with an option that they typically don't have and which apparently at least some of them prefer. So it's interesting. We have a story after the break that I think is going to tie right back into all of this. Jen? Well, Adam, I just have to say every time you bring up a horse analogy, I just appreciate it so much. I love that you bring them to the show. And so keep doing that. And I know I always call for special graphics, but I think that now is the time that we get like a horse when you do that, that maybe can like pop up in the corner. I don't know if we have the capabilities to make it gallop Monty across Python the screen, with the, but with we, can the... work, we can work on that. That's going to be great. <laughs> Attention crypto holders, moving crypto is seamless and secure with PayPal. With support for Bitcoin, ETH and more, you can buy, sell, hold, send and check out with crypto at millions of shops online. Not to mention, PayPal now supports the ability to send to and from external wallets and charges you nothing when transferring between PayPal and Venmo crypto wallets. Whether you're exploring the world of Web3 or hodling on for another day, PayPal is the convenient and simple way to convert dollars into crypto. PayPal has your back. They work to protect your financial info and give you confidence every step of your crypto journey. Now's the time to make your crypto move. Get started today at paypal.com slash crypto. Terms and conditions apply. Let's talk about the Financial Action Task Force, also known as FATF. That's how we call it here. They said recently that three quarters of jurisdictions are not in compliance with their global crypto laundering standards. The FATF established a lot of these standards for virtual asset service providers, VASPs. That's what they call people and entities engaged in the cryptocurrency business. And they're saying, hey, you guys got to get your act together. You aren't complying. And by the way, North Korea is using its ill-gotten crypto gains to finance the creation of weapons of mass destruction. Let's talk about this. FATF, I think, has been, you know, FATF is always a standards body, right? They don't really necessarily have the teeth to enforce a lot of these things. So after a multi-year process of establishing the best ways for countries to deal with anti-money laundering in the crypto space, they've rolled out these recommendations and they're saying that, hey, most folks really aren't up to date just yet, but they kind of lack the teeth to make sure that those jurisdictions can comply. So it's a bit of a structural challenge with that, if I will say. And I do feel like there's two things at play here and the mentioning of them both in one breath 
is a little bit disingenuous. Like North Korea, yeah, they're hacking stuff. They're putting hacked crypto into financing bad stuff. The compliance standards around anti-money laundering are more for sort of law-abiding users of these crypto systems. I don't know what the question is to you, Adam, but I'm going to throw this your way. We're talking about another sort of transnational group that's looking to establish consensus around how countries should regulate their crypto sectors. What do you think? Yeah, I think that so this is presented as a binary. And I think you laid it out correctly insofar as like there's over here are compliant and then over here is North Korea, right? Like that's the the kind of the way that they've they've framed it here. And the reality of it is, is that the world is just a lot more complicated than that. And the decision making calculus around how your system should work is a lot more complicated than that binary. The, uh, you know, FATF is one of many, uh, you know, again, like kind of supranational Western led US led organizations that acts like it's seeking to, you know, seeking to find consensus. But really what it's seeking to do is impose consensus. It's seeking to take what it and, you know, the top allies who all benefit from the dollar system uh, want and then to impose that on everybody else. And they do that by threats of exclusion. They do that by threats of sanctions. We saw action in Pakistan over the last year that spoke to this, uh, where basically FATF was like, hey, you're bad actors. And so as a result of that, they were not able to access certain types of funds that were otherwise available. This is the soft power that is brought to bear on any country that is supposedly sovereign, but which has to ultimately knuckle under to the dollar system because the dollar system is the global financial system, at least for the time being. So it is not at all surprising at this. And the reason why you're not seeing compliance is because these rules actually don't make sense for many countries that exist out there. They make sense for the folks who run the system. And so, again, their complaints are really complaints that you're hurting our potential to maintain this power. You're potentially lifting up a technology that is beneficial to you, but is not beneficial to the system that we kind of stand atop. So not surprising to me, happy to see it, continue to be happy to see, you know, resistance against the dollar led system, because it is clearly not in the interest of many nations around there. And that should be a reasonable position to take without them being deemed North Korea. Jen, what do you think? Yeah, I think the same as both of you. This is reminiscent of the IMF report we just spoke about when it comes to like, what is the connection actually between these two things? The statement said that North Korea was using illicit virtual assets to finance weapons of mass destruction and called for companies to apply anti-money laundering norms. I think it's really important to point out here a lot of the ways we've heard recently of North Korea actually getting their hands on crypto have been through DeFi hacks, which actually if these jurisdictions were to apply these AML conditions or these AML standards, it wouldn't change North Korea being able to hack certain bridges or certain DeFi ecosystems, get their hands on that crypto and then use that crypto to commit crimes. And so I think it's important to highlight that because this isn't being connected in the report. It feels like we're using North Korea, we're using this like big, scary thing that exists in the world to uh, invoke an emotional reaction so that jurisdictions can act faster to stop this bad actor. Zach, you want last words? Sure. I mean, I think there's always going to be bad actors who are going to help countries like North Korea cash out their crypto into funds that they can use to buy parts for their nuclear missiles, right? So like, it's going to be hard to regulate bad actors such as that out of the system. And I think the, the, the intertwining of these two things, and we've seen this again with like other reports, like in the US Congress, right? For instance, remember that like the, um, the fentanyl report, right? The flow of money from Bitcoin to the fentanyl trade, et cetera, et cetera. It's really hard, I think, for the crypto industry to have to bear the burden of some statistical cherry picking and otherwise like half-baked framing devices that put these two things in conversation with each other. 
And I think that's probably maybe what the frustrating thing is with reports like this. But all in all, I mean, the aims are good. Like, I think everyone can agree that North Korea doing bad stuff is not cool. And it would be great if, you know, the FATF could stop that. I just am not optimistic that they are the appropriate entity to stop that. Um, nor will these standards ultimately, if fully embraced, even stop that at all. But I will defer the last word to Adam because I know he is more thoughtful about this stuff. So I shall toss it to him. Well, uh, I'm just going to throw some bombs here for a second. I mean, like, are we really afraid of North Korea? Like, is that is that really the best boogeyman that we have right now? Because, I mean, again, like if you look at North Korea compared to Russia, right, and you look at how Russia has done in the Ukraine war, are we even concerned about Russia anymore? Like, why are we concerned about these countries? Why is this the thing that the world needs to band together to focus on rather than the very real problems that we have? in many other areas, most notably macroeconomics, in large part because of the way that we go after these countries. So again, I just this whole thing feels like a silly diversion that's just intended to reinforce the narrative that benefits those who are powerful with really little respect for reality. Uh, and to me, the only thing I care about anymore is reality. And it seems like that's not kind of what these these organizations are, are really doing. But Jen, let's go to the last story. All right, let's talk about Coinbase. Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong sees the exchange as eventually becoming a super app and could look more like Tencent's WeChat. At the State of Crypto Summit organized by Coinbase and the Financial Times in New York, Armstrong said, quote, in Asia, for some time, people have apps that they use for digital money in all kinds of areas of their life. Now, this is interesting to me, and I'm going to toss this off to you, Adam. But I want to just first talk about my usage and understanding of WeChat. So I used to work for a company that was owned by the largest shareholder of Tencent. So we got a lot of information about what was going on with WeChat. When I worked for the company, I just kind of assumed it was a social app. It was like WhatsApp. You could communicate with people, whatever. Then I went off to China and used WeChat. And WeChat is literally the lifeblood of operation in China. If you want to make a business deal, you do it on WeChat. If you want to pay for coffee, you do it on WeChat. If you want to buy a dress in the mall, you have to use WeChat. It's actually some stores don't accept cash. You have to pay with WeChat. And this comes with a whole slew of concerns when it comes to privacy, data governance, what happens to your data, who gets that data. With WeChat in China, the government has access to all of that. And so it's interesting when we think about the ethos in crypto, and especially Brian Armstrong's championing of the ethos in the crypto atmosphere to compare the vision for Coinbase with WeChat. And I wonder if there's like a decentralized version that addresses some of those concerns. And those are all of my thoughts that I've just unloaded on you. And so Adam, like, what do you, what do you think? Am I thinking about this in the right way? Yeah, I think you're thinking about it right, but it's a hard problem to solve, right? If you're talking about true levels of decentralization, uh, especially, you know, before something like the Lightning Network is really to the point where it's ready to handle massive scale, um, you know, like that's a hard problem. And there are a lot of advantages that come from centralization. So the ability to do microtransactions and stuff like that typically is something that's happened in these types of platforms because they don't actually have to do a transaction, right? They can just kind of move around, you know, off-chain balances or off-sheet balances um, to make those modifications. So, so like the, the can you do this in a fully decentralized way part? Probably not. But if you look at what Coinbase has done, they haven't really done a lot in a fully decentralized way. Their business is to abstract the complexity that comes from this. And there are some trusted parts of that. And again, it's, it, it's a balance, right? A fully decentralized system is in some ways safer, in some ways more risky, uh, because there's more responsibility on the individual end user. And that can be challenging, especially for early majority audiences. I think that the comment from uh, Brian is makes total sense, which is essentially a long way of saying that 
Network effects are where we want Coinbase to be. And we want to build a massive network effect that will allow us to go into any business that we want using our existing customer base and expanding into other customer bases, which will make us an incredibly valuable company over time. That's really what I hear when I hear this statement. Uh, and I don't think it has anything to do with with really uh, you know, like decentralization or anything. This is a longer term business play, and it's one that makes perfect sense. And it's not even about crypto. It's just about how business is done today. Zach? I think it's sort of a slight messaging shift from like Coinbase wallet, right? So there's Coinbase, the exchange product, but there's also a wallet, right? Which is more similar to like MetaMask or something where it's like a wallet and it's a portal to all these various on-chain protocols, right? So I think sort of the pivot from wallet to like super app, maybe a smart sort of messaging shift that is more accessible and understandable to most folks, but it doesn't seem altogether that different from what they've been doing for the past few years with Coinbase wallet, which is sort of uh, intended at least as this portal to on-chain finance, decentralized social, and more. I think it'd be fantastic if there was an on-chain portal to all those things. And I think that Coinbase is well-positioned to be that. I think as it relates to network effect, the network effect just really isn't there for a lot of these protocols around decentralized social just yet, even around the payments use case um, with stable coins and whatnot. So I think the network effect is still yet to come. And I think it makes a ton of sense that Coinbase would position this wallet product as a super app that potentially has some additional features that makes it more accessible and does abstract away some of the complexity that has kept people away from on-chain applications to date. So I think it's a great mission to sort of put on the back, hey, Coinbase is saying we're here, SEC, Domut, we're not going to forget about you guys. We're just ch chugging ahead and this is sort of the product vision. And I think there's plenty of room in the space to uh, talk about some of these enhancements and Coinbase is a, a good messenger for that, I'd say. Anyway, I think that's it for the show today and for the week because it is Friday. I am Zach. That's Jen. Adam's over there. I think we're going to have a good weekend this weekend. What do you think, guys? We're going to have a great weekend. Going to California. It's going to be great. Love that. Ooh, All right. We, okay. we, we wish a good weekend to you as well. Bye now. Have a good one. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, 
planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.